Okay, back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Justin and Ailish this morning. Uh, the Masters is going to get underway a little earlier this morning. So if you, you know, set an alarm for your favorite golfer, favorite tee time, you might miss 30 minutes of it because, yeah, Masters expecting some uh, bad weather this afternoon. They're going to get them out earlier than anticipated, 30 minutes to be exact. So, you know, we can get to the Masters a little earlier today. I'm okay with that. It was an all-day affair yesterday. Yeah, Watching seriously. the sun go down and guys are still out there. Uh, so we got John Morosi in a second. Well, we wait to have him on. I got to get a second-round leader bet in. I'm hot. Yeah, I think uh, this is an opportunity to... You were just saying capitalize on someone that's got a... So bad weather this afternoon, and we were talking about top 10 earlier on. Do you look at someone in the top 10 right now who's getting off in the morning? You do. And avoiding the, you know, Victor Hovland's of the world, oh, John Rahm, who was out there in the afternoon. So Scotty played in the afternoon yesterday, meaning he's who's out there in, early. Who's in the top couple groupings that guys like? Who, guys who are going to be off early who are in the top 10. Scheffler, Kepka, Day. McElroy's not in, in the top 10, but he's still high up there. Tony Finau. Uh, I saw Colin zero Morikawa, Tony Sam Finau Burns. on my TV yesterday. Was he even there? He, very late, they got a couple of shots I barely in. saw his Sam face. Burns is an interesting one. Sam Burns was, had a had a mm-hmm. couple good moments yesterday, kind of fell apart a little bit, but he's going to be off early. He played late in the afternoon, and he was playing very, very well, so I'm interested okay. in Sam Burns. But uh, we do have John on now, so we'll transition to a little baseball talk. And John, our Friday spot, very, very much looking forward to this, John. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Uh, I, I was watching uh, a little, little bit of baseball, a little bit of hockey last night. Uh, obviously, Michigan Quinnipiac in the national semifinal. So uh, I know Matthew Nyes is on the play <laughs> for the championship Saturday. So it is a great time of year indeed. So what happened there with Michigan yesterday? Well, uh, a couple things. I think Portillo didn't have his best game. I think that, that could be said. The third period got away from him a little bit. Um, and I also think Michigan just they they hit a pipe on a – on a really good chance by Ciccolini in the third period, and also they had a two-on-one right at the start of the third period where if they score, maybe it changes around a bit. But Quinnipiac, really good defensive structure, excellent, really well-coached team. Uh, I hope Fantilli wins the Hobie Baker today as he should. He deserves that award. He's been the best player in the country this year. Uh, But it will be Minnesota and Quinnipiac playing for the championship. And then we see how soon after that, (laughs) Matthew Nyes makes his Leafs debut. Who knows, oh, right? Trust me, John. That's the all eyes on Matthew Nyes. He better win this thing and get to Toronto. I heard he had two bags packed, so that's a good sign. Speaking of bags packed. A uh, very good sign, I would say. Yeah, <laughs> I, we're happy about it. Um, you're headed to Paris next week, so we're going to miss you. Um, what's uh, yes. what's happening in Paris? So uh, thanks thanks for uh, for mentioning that. Yeah, so it, it is a belated birthday gift for my wife. So Aww. she... Uh, she John. has wanted to go there for a while. We actually had our honeymoon there many, many years ago. And now, uh, now we're going to bring the whole crew. So uh, it, is, uh, it is a sign, I would say, of true love to bring uh, uh, your, your three wonderful daughters with you on a, on a transatlantic flight and, and hope <laughs> that everybody uh, adjusts their sleep schedules accordingly and has a good trip. And I'm, I'm ambitiously hoping that that's going to be the case. But, no, we're uh, excited, the whole crew. So if you see uh, – 
a group of five uh, rolling around Paris in the next week or so. That's us. So it should be a lot of fun. Well, I hope you have a blast. Uh, très bien. Um, bon voyage. That's about the extent of my uh, grade eight French that I got here. You, I know you're bilingual, so you'll just kill it over there. You're trilingual, really. So you'll uh, you'll well, have a blast. Ailish, <laughs> hey, uh, you're, you're you're too kind. I will. I, I'm gonna be. Uh, I, I'll be making. I'm sure plenty of grammatical errors, but I will be doing my best. Uh, and and it's it's a it's. Both a blessing and a curse because sometimes when I'm when I when you're fumbling around for the words, half of them will come out in Italian and maybe it will be intelligible, uh, but it'll it'll be a probably this beautiful uh, combination of French, Italian, and Spanish. And, and but I think my my experience in traveling English through through sports in my life has always been that when you put in the effort, it usually works out. It doesn't have to be perfect for it to be the, the right approach to take, to, to, give, to give the effort. So I'm going to do the best I can in French, uh, and even if it comes out with a little bit of Italian and Spanish, I think we're going to be okay. i got to be honest, and I'm not the talent that John Morosi is, but I was in France over the summer, and the more I tried, the more I failed to oh. communicate with uh, people. So uh, best of luck, John, uh, <laughs> but I think uh, you'll have more success than me. Okay, so we are through seven games for the Toronto Blue Jays. Right. Full spin through the rotation plus... Alec Manoa and Kevin Gosman. Uh, what stands out to you as the most uh, important, intriguing uh, storyline from the first little bit, first two series of the Toronto Blue Jays season? You know, great question. I think, first of all, just to see them bounce back after the, the difficult opening series was was a really good sign. Uh, I think to, to to play both Missouri teams, obviously, to, to still emerge there with a good series win over KC was important. I'll actually say this. For me, the most important performance that we've seen so far from from the Jays is that Kikuchi got through a really, really solid season debut, uh, only walked one batter in that start. If, if he's going to be able to replicate that more often than not during the course of the year, I really like the Jays' chances too. As we've talked before, I've, I've got them winning the World Series, but I, I think for me, he is one of their most important players on the roster. I think uh, obviously getting Barrios back on track is going to be crucial too, but Kikuchi pitching that well is a really good start, and, and if he can r- remain in that in that same good tempo and and continue to, to improve, I, for me, he might be someone that really benefits from the pitch timer that keeps him in a, in a rhythm more consistently during his outings, and, and I think we've seen that. I think Gossman obviously was tremendous yesterday, and, and Manoa bounced back in a big way too, uh, but I, so for me, it's still a little bit concerned about Barrios and, and watching for him to get back on track, but Kikuchi taking a huge step, uh, I think, is a really great sign of things to come for the Jays. We're going to see Bassett and Barrios with opportunities for that little bounce back that Kikuchi had as well, um, but you mentioned Gosman, and there was a lot of Cy Young talk about him this offseason, and the way he started, just like professional outings is how we, we've been putting it. Um, I feel right. like that's not too far-fetched to think that this guy could be one of the best and consistent pitchers um, league-wide this year. I agree, Alicia. I think it's a great way to put it because he's someone that has one of the more devastating out pitches in in the sport, and, and so when he when he comes into camp and is I think as as focused as he was, and obviously his his tempo, he's someone that really pitches with great tempo. And you look at the the Jays and their defense and how much um, he can re- rely on them as well in in the instances in which he's not striking guys out, which he obviously does pretty often. Um, it's just a really nice combination. He, he, to your point, he looks like an ace. And what, what that says to us is that when Manoa pitches the way that he can pitch and Gossman does what he can do, 
they have two aces. The, the big irony is, of course, that at the moment, and, and for a while, uh, one of the aces is not Berrios. And the idea was when he came over that he was going to be that pitcher. Well, Gossman is now that pitcher, and I think Manoa is also that pitcher when, when he's in uh, in really good form. So I've just been really impressed by Gossman. I think you're right. He's He's been an all-star before. But he, he's not quite been in that upper echelon Cy Young conversation where he's uh, maybe a top five pitcher in the American League. And I think it's a great observation that you make that based on what we've seen so far, he certainly has that in him. And uh, I'm really curious to see how he's going to pitch here, here over the balance of the season. Not only has he been a bright spot, but Matt Chapman has had the dream start to 2023, yes. especially since it's a contract year. Uh, he's leading the MLB with hits. What do you think he's playing himself into? I mean, obviously it's early, but a robust market, I'm sure, for him this offseason. Do you have any idea about, you know, where he might fall as a, as a contract looms in the distance? You know, it's a great question, and he's someone that obviously we know Ailish is just an elite defender, one of the very best infielders, period, regardless of position uh, in the sport. And so if, if he's going to be able to pair up what we already know is elite defense with with this level of offense, and again, he's batting 481. That that level probably isn't sustainable, but but he's he's off to a really really great start with a ton of extra base hits. That that to me is one of the more important things. He's he's hitting for damage. He's he's getting on base. Um, I, he's the kind of player that when you add it all up, he he could very easily be a 20 million dollar a year player plus. I, I think that's that's a fairly I think I feel very confident in saying that over a multi-year deal. Uh, he's he's young enough where I think that's that's a, a reasonable expectation. Obviously, he's about to turn 30 here later on this month. Uh, I think for all those reasons, he's he's someone that is that is likely to be a a multi-year contract player as a free agent uh, with, with with that that AAV beginning with with the number two, and he's he's a 20 million dollar plus player. Uh, prior to his acquisition, John, uh, Dalton Varsho admittedly had basically not surfaced on my radar uh, playing with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, right. But we have been so, so impressed by what he's brought through seven games and so encouraged by uh, what he might be able to bring in big games and, and down the stretch of the season. I wonder, though, because we're, you know, we're we're sort of, uh, you know, admiring all the different things he can do on the diamond. How rare an asset is how rare an asset he is, rather. Uh, it just right. seems like he's a guy that does so much and so few players around Major League Baseball can do what he does to the extent that he does it. How rare is the Dal- Dalton Varsho asset? He really is uh, an extraordinary player. And, and when you talk about someone that can play center field and also catch, uh, and obviously he doesn't always have to play center for the Jays because they've got Kiermaier now, but, uh, but you're right. He is the overall skill set of, of those two positions, catcher, center field, super rare. That's, that's like Craig Biggio territory when you think about what Craig has done at different times in his Hall of Fame career. And then the, the base running as well. He is a really, really good athlete. Uh, of course, uh, we, we talked before about his, his background, a, uh, a high school football star from the great town of Chile, Wisconsin, which is basically, uh, I think it's the, the population there is under 1,000. I mean, it is a tiny, tiny place. And, and just a great family. It's, it's rare that you've got someone who, who is that well-rounded of an athlete, who, who is both the son of a major league player and someone who grew up in such a small town to where he was able to keep playing multiple sports and just had a really grounded athletic childhood. That's a really unique life story to both have that exposure to the major leagues through his dad, but then also 
be a multi-sport athlete and, and be there with his friends in Chile, Wisconsin, and Marshfield and, and playing football. So I, I just think he's, he's a uniquely grounded person. I think very highly of him and his family, and I think he's just set up to succeed beautifully in Toronto for a long time. Uh, that, was a, that was a big trade they made with the D-backs. And I think I, I, I really want to credit uh, Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro there for that, for that move because when you think about it, the Diamondbacks, they were not looking to trade Varsho, but they had so many other lefty bats in the outfield at the moment that he was more expendable than you would think. And, and they, they had to give up Moreno, of course, to do it, but you know, the Jays also had that depth where they, because of Kirk, they had the ability to make that trade. So I just I applaud the front office and certainly for Dalton for, for what he's done so far. Yeah, we're excited. It seems like a great deal. I mean, uh, you know, Moreno has hit, uh, you know, different levels of importance over the timeline here, how much you wanted to hold on to him, how much you wanted to wait for him to bust through and be a, a part of this team. Uh, right now, I'm looking at a player in Dalton Varsho who helps you win every single time you win, which is a very, very good thing for the Toronto Blue Jays and uh, definitely a coup for Ross Atkins. Um, so let's look a little bit uh more league-wide here, uh, and we'll start in the division. Uh, we've been scared to even flip on a Tampa Bay Rays game because they just keep winning <laughs> and they keep pitching. Uh, how good are they because we're scared to look? They, they are pretty good, and, and you're, you're right to be a little bit uh, intimidated by what they're doing, <laughs> to, be, to be totally honest. Um, when you got someone in, in Jeffrey Springs, I, I sort of mentioned Jeffrey Springs now as the avatar for the Tampa Bay Rays because he had a a five-plus ERA in his career before he came over to Tampa Bay, and then he goes out in his, in his season debut, 12 punch-outs, and is, and is now someone that looks like he's probably going to be an all-star this year if he keeps, keeps this up. Um, it's just, that's what they do. They, they bring in uh, someone that's maybe lacking a pitch. In the case of Springs, he works on a change-up with Kyle Snyder, who's an excellent pitching coach, and now look at him. He's got, he's got a really good three-pitch mix, and he's a, he fits in there with everybody else. And everybody in Tampa Bay, whether they're righty or lefty, seems to throw – uh, a really good changeup, and they've got different arm angles. That's the thing. I, I was actually talking to somebody in Detroit yesterday, uh, who, had, of course, they opened up the season against Tampa, and he basically said it's just it's exhausting to prepare to play against them because of how many different arm angles you see, how many different approaches you have to prepare for. It's like taking this comprehensive final exam on a subject that you haven't studied in a while, and it's just it's mentally draining in addition to the physical component. So they're just a really well-built team. Uh, they're going to be difficult to, to face all season long in the AL East. And I was actually saying this to somebody yesterday. I, I really think it's possible that the three best teams in in the American League are all in the American League East. Oh, God. That, that it's the Rays, Yankees, and Jays. Sorry about that. Now, now the good news for the Jays and everybody, now stay with me here, is that with the, with the new schedule this year, you get to play other teams more often. So it would be easier for all three of those teams to make the playoffs. So it's not all bad news, Toronto. It's going to be okay. Uh, but, but the division is great. The good news is you've got a beautiful newly redesigned ballpark to enjoy some outstanding baseball competition this year there I, I had to put the positive spin on it to say why uh, why it's all going to be okay Justin and I actually went down to the ballpark yesterday and got to see the uh, the ribbon cutting ceremony it is it's pretty uh, it's pretty incredible uh, we're excited are you uh, is your layover in Toronto on the way home from Paris because uh, we could we could show the family around if you're coming by Nice. So, so I, 
got to make sure that we all get up to Toronto this year. That's that will happen. Perfect. We have to, we have not been all five of us up to Toronto as as a family in, in a few years now. But I I have heard wonderful things about uh, about the new ballpark. I think it's going to be great. I can't wait to see um, how how the ball travels now with the, with mm-hmm. the new with the new dynamics because sometimes it looks a certain way, but then it will play a little bit differently. So I'll be really curious to see after the Tigers visit next week how the ball is traveling. And and yes, I, I had we not. I'll tell, I'll tell you this, Alish. Had we not been going to to Brampton or to to uh, to, to France this week, I'd be going to Brampton because I, I would want to watch the Women's World Championships. I have like I have it on my calendar. I'm following the updates. Team USA, a nice mix of of old and young there. But uh, Canada, as you know, uh, tough to play against in this event. So let's let's hope the Americans, at least on this side of the border, uh, that we find we find a way to at least get a win, whether it's in pool play or, or later on. But uh, it's going to be a tough matchup against Canada coming up. John, as a Brampton native. If I can say this, uh, you're the first person in history to <laughs> <said if> I <laughs> to, to confuse Brampton, Brampton and Paris. Paris. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, isn't 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 Brampton the Paris of Ontario? Is Brampton, I believe, is the Paris of Ontario? It's crazy because there's actually a town in Ontario called Paris. So between the two of them, we've got a couple Parises <laughs> here in uh, in Ontario. Um, Blue Jays about to head to LA to play the Angels. Now they have a pretty good start too. They're four and two. Um, obviously, yes. we've got a lot of eyes on those guys after the World Baseball Classic as well. Uh, What should the Blue Jays expect as they head over to L.A.? So the good news, Ailish, is that Shohei Otani is is not scheduled to pitch this weekend because he already did. So there, so he just pitched yesterday or Wednesday. So good news there for the Jays. They don't have to face him. But I, I think they're overall a couple of things. I, I think the Angels pitching, that's always been the question, right? Who, who can pitch besides Otani? And Anderson and Sandoval have both been good to start the season. Of course, Sandoval was excellent in the World Baseball Classic pitching for Team Mexico. So I think their pitching is, is a lot better. Their bullpen is more balanced too. They brought in Carlos Estevez, uh, who I think has had a really good start to his season too. And then offensively, Logan Ohapi behind the plate, a really nice uh, young catcher. That was a really important acquisition they made last year in the Cindergard trade. So I think good, good on the Angels for getting him in there. Uh, Trout, Trout has been Trout to begin the year. Taylor Ward, who was so good early last season, he's also been good so far this year too. So I, I think for me, it's always been the question of who can pitch besides Otani, and, and will they be solid enough on the mound? And so far, so good in that respect with both Anderson and Sandoval. So three quality starters right now. One of them, of course, is a, is a one-of-one unique talent in the history of sports in Otani, and then offensively, uh, Ward and Ohapi joining Trout in, in Otani. So a deeper and better Angels team than we saw last year. So we're a full week plus into the new rule changes in Major League Baseball. And frankly, I think it's got off without a hitch. Like, I, I, you know, it's clearly you know unavoidable. The pitch clock is something that you see on your broadcast, depending on yeah. uh, which broadcast you're watching. But it's something you notice. But it's not something that has disrupted the game, I think, in any real way. So have we stepped into a better product here with Major League Baseball? And is there anything from a rule change perspective that isn't really working all that well right now? No, I think it's it's a very very fair question, Justin. I think overall it has been great that the time of game has dropped. I mean that that is a, an undeniable fact. 
the base running is, is up uh, in terms of the stolen base attempts, and I think we're going to see. Uh, it was interesting. You know, ben, ben Ennis asked me yesterday if I was going to, if we were going to see somebody steal 100 bases, and I'm thinking that's actually possible. It's crazy to think, but it's it's plausible now. That's going to be a fun thing to watch as we go forward. Like, can somebody get to 100? Uh, who knows, right? That that's going to be a really exciting thing to watch. But I, I think on the on the pitch timer management, we did see the Machado issue this week where he, where he was ejected and, and requested time and, and didn't get it. At the end of the day, players are going to adjust because they have to. It, it, it was an unfortunate thing that happened with Manny, but at the end of the day, it, it proves that you have to have requested time before eight seconds. So the, the, the timer has to say nine. If, if it says eight and you request time, it's, you're not going to get time. This is, this is the rule for everybody. doesn't matter who you are. And I think that, that if there was ever any question about, well, how serious is this and is everyone going to get assessed to strike if that's the case, yeah, the answer is yes. And so uh, while Manny didn't love it, uh, and obviously we all would have wanted to see Manny play all nine innings of that game and not get ejected, the reality is uh, it was a pretty profound reminder to everybody that you got to get in the box and you got to adjust your batting gloves once or twice fewer every time you're in the batter's box and just make the adjustment. So I really believe that, that what we, we were told would be the case based on the minor league experience uh, is, is going to be the major league experience, that you're going to see guys have an adjustment period probably through April, and, and after that it's, it's going to be seamless. And I think really overall it's been virtually seamless with a couple of minor hiccups here and there, but I think overall I think everybody's been thrilled with it. Well, John, there's no one else we can talk to world travel, college hockey, women's world championships, and baseball about. uh, Couldn't ask for a a better uh, collection of topics every Friday. Enjoy your trip to Paris. We'll be thinking about you. Can't wait to see some. You're a big social media guy now, so make sure you post lots because we'll be living through you. Yes. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. And by the way, yes, I need to keep working on my on my social game a little bit too. So, so your comments and critiques very much welcome because I'm still I'm still learning English. I'm still at my core a, a, a minivan driving father of three. So I can only be so cool on social media. Trust uh, me. We'll have a great time, and uh, we'll chat with you in a few weeks. Be safe. Thanks so much. All the best. Have a great weekend. You as well. That's John Morosi, MLB Network Insider, Jet Setter to Paris, and. Uh, the quote of the century, Brampton is the Paris of Ontario. Mm. My God, that was good. <laughs> that was uh, a little, the most inaccurate thing John Morosi can come up with, I think. A little bit. bit we have a listener different from Paris. Different world in downtown Brampton. I know we have a listener Paris. from Paris, Kyle, I believe. Kyle from Paris. I he, didn't expect you to say Kyle. I'm pretty sure it's Kyle. He texts in sometimes and he puts the... the oh, yar- Paris, Ontario. Sorry. Yes. No. There's no Kyles in Paris, France. <laughs> we even have a listener from Paris, France. I, yeah, we could. We might. If you're listening from Paris, France, <laughs> hi. Bonjour. Hello. Anyway, Kyle from Paris, Ontario. He's probably like, excuse me, John Morosi, we do have a Paris. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, I love John. Good to have him on. Um, he's a... Uh, putting some big money on Matt Chapman. So take that as you will, Blue Jays fans. Let's, uh, we don't have to do it yet. No, 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 it's a long ways away. Long ways away. Let's not have the angst set in yet. But what we can do is think about someone that he did mention was Matthew Nyes. And it's time for something to chew on, brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. Great Canadian Baguettes. If you're John Morosi. Elliot Friedman was a guest on the Jeff Merrick Show Thursday, as he always is. 
provided an update on Matthew Nyes' contract situation. This is something we haven't talked about at all. It's just like, he's going to jump here. He's going to be here. He's good. He's ready to go. But we didn't think about how that stuff works. <laughs> we just dreamed about it happening. Anyway, uh, Elliot said there's only one hurdle that could prevent Nyes from signing in Toronto. Here's what it is. I think everybody's kind of expected that Nyes is, is going to get done. And uh, uh, I, I think most people tend to lean in that direction. I have been told if there's one concern here, it's going to be a, a negotiation over bonuses. And, you know, for one thing, the Maple Leafs have a really tight cap situation. And, uh, you know, in the past, some of their top prospects who have signed have decided to forego bonuses because it gets them to the NHL quicker. Yeah. quicker. Uh, Nick Robertson did that. Rasmus Sandin did that. I also think there was uh, like a question being asked about full signing bonus. Like, is it possible that maybe he not take the full signing bonus that's available? And like someone just said to me that that if there was any, if there was going to be any issue here, it was going to be something like that. How does that make you feel, Justin? Mm, Matthew Nyes wants his bonuses, eh? Shocking. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel like any negotiation, you ask, you, you ask for it. Mm-hmm. You ask for it. I, 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 again, this guy's motivations and intentions, and I know college players are a little bit different, have been different, though. Like, he wanted to go back and win a title with the Frozen Four or at the Frozen Four with Minnesota, and that's proven to be a pretty good decision because guess what? He's going to be playing for a national championship uh, this weekend. But at the same time, it's like some guys are just so desperate. Get me there. Get me in an NHL game before the end of the season. But he's been a little bit more patient. He's been a little bit more about the experience and getting his. I don't know what it means, really. I mean, it depends on the agent, depends on the player, depends on the team, depends on all that. But... Uh, you, you know, you get the pattern of giving the world to players. It's not the pattern that you necessarily want to be falling into. The precedent you def- definitely want to set. Maybe he's worth those bonuses. Again, the way we've talked about him, surely give him the bonuses. That's right. But I don't, I don't know if that's the best thing for them. Well, he's got one opportunity for that championship uh, tomorrow, 8 p.m. QPAC in Minnesota, play for the national championship and then we assume we'll be talking about this Monday morning, what the rumblings are when Matthew Nyes heads to Toronto and how this contract situation plays out. Maybe it's not as easy as we thought. Just sign on the dotted line and get in the lineup. Also, maybe the spot in lineup has shrunk with the way that that fourth line and I guess bottom six has been playing in general. Um, lots to look forward to this weekend. Um, Matthew Nyes might be an NCAA champ. That would be great for the city of Toronto getting him a little championship experience. Could be quite the weekend from him for him. If you get a championship and a nice contract that guarantees you're going to be a pretty rich guy sooner than later, that'll be a great weekend, I'd be weekend good with for that. him. Um, all right, let's keep our Masters talk going. We're going to have Shane Ryan, writer at Golf Digest, join us on the other side of the break. But while we take a break, send in your wake and rake picks at 590-590 because we're going to go through a couple of those uh, Masters look-aheads. They are teeing off 30 minutes earlier today, so if you're doing um, second-round predictions or second-round head-to-heads, you want to get that in quickly. We have Raptors on the road against the Celtics, um, the second game of that little back-to-back or road trip to Boston. Blue Jays uh, start their road trip to L.A. tonight, first pitch at 9.38 p.m. That's obviously on Sportsnet 
and Sportsnet 590, the fans streaming on sportsnet.ca slash 590, as well as the Sportsnet app. Chris Bassett on the mound and Canada continues their world championship defense with a game against Chechia tonight at 7 p.m. So lots to take a look forward to sending your picks at 595.90 went two for three yesterday looking to make Friday a good Friday. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590. The Fan, the second round of the Masters is underway. First group, Cam Champ, Jose Maria, Ola Thobble. I believe out on the course, we are officially under the way. We started 30 minutes early, I guess, because the weather is going to be pretty poor in the afternoon. So hopefully it doesn't, it isn't too disruptive, but we expect some disruption this weekend at Augusta. Uh, to talk about day one and the weekend ahead, pleased to have on Shane Ryan, writer at Golf Digest. Uh, good morning, Shane. How are you doing? Yeah, good morning, guys. I'm good. I think uh, Champ or Olafable might be the only guys to finish, so... Get yeah, your best in now. One of them's going to win the green jacket. Ooh, yeah. okay. So, uh, yeah, expecting. I mean, yesterday was like a nice surprise, right? Like, I was kind of like bracing for it all day. When is it going to get real bad? Should I get some bets in on the early guys because it looks nice? Uh, yesterday was okay, but I guess today is when Mother Nature does wreak havoc. Uh, when you look at day one, look back at day one here, Shane. What is the big story of day one at the Masters? Yeah, I think you know, Brooks Kepka, uh, you know, is, is the big story. It's kind of there was always going to be a live guy to make a run, right? And I think you know, obviously, it's him so far, and he's been playing really well. I think he won um, the Orlando tournament that they had just you know the week earlier. So that's a big story that he's kind of back in form. Um, I don't know if you guys watched the full swing Netflix documentary, but you know, he was the star of the second episode and. You know, I put star in quotes because he basically seemed like I compare him to Hamlet, you know, just some guy who's totally in his head, uh, you know, he's like walking around his house, like moaning about the state of existence. And, you know, he wasn't playing well and he's hurt and everything like that. But it seems like he's finally, he's finally better and, and playing like Brooks Kepka again, which is kind of a surprise. And then, you know, for me, I, you know, I was in Austin at the match play and I'd watched the last couple of weeks. Rom obviously is an unbelievable golfer, but he hadn't looked good. Uh, and so, you know, I did it, the four putt didn't surprise me at all on a whole one, everything that came after shocked me. So he's obviously figured out whatever was going wrong and, you know, he was phenomenal. So yeah, those two guys, it's great to see. You got Hovland up there. Um, Cam Young was a guy I really liked before the tournament. So I not surprised at all to see him play well. Scheffler's right in the midst. It's a great leaderboard, really. I mean, that's the most you can say. And then I, you know, to give you one more, I thought Sam Bennett was a really cool story. This, this amateur playing, uh, playing out of his mind. Uh, I had watched him at the USAM. He was super clutch and yeah, four under, four under after one. He's, I mean, he's in the mix, you know, it's pretty cool to see. Yeah, it was cool. I was a little disappointed or cheering against him because I've been banging the Gordon Sargent drum all week, but that <laughs> didn't work out for me. So yeah, it definitely seems like Sam <laughs> yeah. Bennett is the uh, amateur to watch. Let's go back to Brooks because I think you nailed it. I think he is the story of day one. And I'm kind of interesting, uh, interested about the narrative uh, around him right now. Uh, you know, I think you were right to outline full swing. I think he was the most interesting thing to come out of that because it seemed like a guy who maybe thought the profession was backing him into the corner and that's why he went to live. And all of a sudden he's playing really well. And I'm like, 
Do you think he really wants to be a live golfer anymore? I, I don't know if I'm too, you know, too much psychoanalysis here, but I, I want to see Brooks competing at big events. And I'm, and I was kind of like reminded of that yesterday. What, you know, we're just talking about the mental state from full swing. Where are the mentals right now with Brooks Kepka? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I don't think you're doing too much psychoanalysis at all. In fact, you know, Alan Shipnuck uh, in a mailbag at the fire pit collective, he had alluded to the fact he said, you know, he may be, you know, rumors are that he's, you know, looking for a way out uh, basically, or that he's, you know, not happy, um, and I, I don't know if that's true. Uh, that's just what Alan wrote, but you know, I, Alan certainly would know. Uh, but it makes sense. You know, if it were true, it would make sense because this guy loves to compete and you could see in full swing that the reason he went was because he couldn't compete anymore. And so I, you know, the equation in his mind was, boy, you better leap at the money while you can, because you can't win out here anymore. And it was almost like, you know, watching a, a dog look at a bigger dog and turn over on its belly and just offer submission, right? Like it was like, like I can't do it anymore. Take, you know, it's like, just take it. And so, yeah, he went to live, but uh, you know, this knee problem, which he spoke about after his round yesterday was really serious. And you know, the, the rehab was like a year and a half long. I think he was really discouraged and frustrated and didn't see kind of a clear horizon for himself, but now he's got that, you know, as of like, I think December, he said he'd get full movement back. And then, yeah, here you go. Brooks Kepka playing like Brooks Kepka again. I wouldn't be at all surprised if he was like, wait a second. I, you know, I can compete at Augusta. I can shoot a 65 here. Of course, like he's such a competitive guy. I think, you know, one of my favorite quotes from that whole documentary was that, you know, he was talking about, God, how much money would he give just to feel that heat of competition in a major for mm-hmm. 10 minutes again? You know, and I, you know, some guys aren't like that. Some guys are all about the money. I really, I really do genuinely think Kepka uh, gets a thrill from this kind of thing. That's bigger than anything else, uh, bigger than any money, bigger than his Instagram supermodel life, anything. I think he loves this. And yeah, I would, I would say for sure, maybe if he could snap his fingers, uh, you would definitely wonder if he would do that and kind of reset and, and go back to the tour, but who knows? Uh, certainly a big storyline and I think surprising one for a lot to see uh, him shoot his way up there. And I guess a, a live a, a live guy in the final day would be a, a good one. Uh, we bring a lot of eyes at least if, if uh, Brooks is there. Is that, the, is that, is that the feel good live yeah. story suddenly? Like, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. know Do I, we, I don't are we cheering for but... Brooks Kepka to have a moment? Like, I don't know how to feel sometimes about how we should cheer or not cheer. I mean, just cheer for good golf, I guess. Um, but one thing we were had our eyes on was Tiger Woods, of course, yesterday. And he wasn't really one of the stories because he shot two over and it was a bit quiet, but it looks like he's on the cusp of the cut line. Um, just breaks down to his health in terms of uh, yesterday's performance. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's you know, you always try to read the body language with Tiger, and obviously he hasn't played much. He played Riviera, then didn't play again coming into this. He looks stiff, but he always kind of looks stiff now. I mean, it's you know, the guy almost lost his leg in a car crash, and he's had you know eight million back surgeries. He's forty six, forty seven, whatever he is. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, he's <laughs> when you look at everything that happens, it's sort of a miracle he can get around the course and then shooting two over and being on the verge of making the cut, you're like kind of unbelievable. But yeah, I mean, yeah, Tiger's Tiger's old. (laughs) It's like this day was always going to come. And, and we're, we're seeing it out there, but you know, I I think um, I was listening and Colt knows made a really good point on the broadcast yesterday that he was saying, you know, Tiger really needed to probably do a little bit better on, uh, on Thursday because, 
Now we've got rain, and now, you know, God forbid it gets delayed into tomorrow. I think the temperature, the high is like 50 degrees in Augusta tomorrow. Uh, you know, this is not somebody who's going to benefit from cold, wet weather. You know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make it worse for them. So, yeah, it's, I don't know. Like, a lot of people make the cut in this tournament. It's a weird tournament, 88 people, top 50 make the cut. So it's a little bit easier in that sense, but uh, the circumstances around it don't look so hot, in my opinion. Yeah, I was thinking maybe he'd be wishing for bad weather because he's off in the afternoon today. Maybe he can avoid that if he's not having to play, and maybe there's better conditions Saturday morning. But if it's not like that, then uh, there's no way around it really for Tiger, and he's going to have to grind through. It was a little unlucky yesterday as well, but you know, uh, you know, it's clearly he's clearly labored and clearly dealing with the effects of all those injuries. It's uh, kind of unfortunate to see, but also a thrill to see him out there. Uh, as well. Okay, so you mentioned John Rahm. Uh, incredible 17-hole stretch. Maybe the best 17-hole stretch we've seen after that uh, that double bogey four-putt start on one. You said that he's found it, that he's you know figured something out after a, a bit of a blip on his season, which started so hot. Should he con- be considered the favorite right now at this tournament, given where he's at and where his game is at? Yeah, I think so. I think so. You know, it's, it's with Kepka, it's hard to say. You know, it's he absolutely could go out and do this, you know, three more times and run away with the Masters. But we haven't seen him enough to know for sure. With Rom, I mean, Rom's at the peak of his game. If you ignore, like you said, the blips, and I mean, those those seventeen holes are just spectacular. So I don't, I don't think there's any doubt that you know whatever trouble he was having, he worked it out. He's already got a major. You know, obviously we know he's an unbelievable winner. I think for sure he's the favorite. But I mean, it's you know, Scheffler's three off too. I mean, like this is a really really good leaderboard. The weather is the, the one real bummer because it's supposed to, you know, the problem is it's not just today, it's tomorrow. And who knows? It's not that big a deal. If we have to finish Monday or Tuesday, that's that's the way it is. But uh, it's just an exciting, great tournament. I mean, and it, it felt always like a tournament to me where a really big game was going to win. And it does seem poised to do it. It's like, you know, like the furthest you can see, like maybe Cam Young wins. And Cam Young is, you know, somebody who was top five in almost every major last year. So it's it's rewarding and, and it's kind of, you know, defining and singling out who the really great players are. And it just feels like, I don't think anybody's going to run away with it. And it feels like it's going to be a really epic. I, should, yeah, I was about to say Sunday, a really epic fourth round, <laughs> whenever, whenever mm-hmm. that is next, next Thursday, maybe whatever oh, it is. Yeah. Really epic six day tournament. <laughs> that takes forever to complete. Uh, right. how, how do you view Scotty's round? Because, you know, clearly he's right there. He's right in the mix. He's going to have the benefit of going out early today. If there is any benefit uh, to playing at any specific time today, but he putted horribly. Right. So is, do you look at it as like, Oh, straighten out the putter and this, this tournament says, <laughs> or is there something there where it's like, okay, you putted poorly is that something you can actually fix? Because you need to fix it if you're going to win and repeat as Masters champion. Yeah, there's so much variance with putting within a single event that, you know, if this this could have been just his bad day. And we know Scotty's a pretty good putter. You know, speaking of Colt Nose, he was saying that, you know, like Max Holm was one of the few people with a totally complete game. And Shane Bacon said to him, well, what about, what about Scheffler? Come on, he's the number one player in the world. And he said, well, he still struggles from inside 10 feet sometimes putting. And sure enough, that was before Scheffler teed off. And sure enough, he did kind of have a, uh, a little bit of a tough day. But again, that's probably going to be the worst day he has as a putter, and he still shot a 68. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't worry too much about that. Um, like I said, there's a lot of variance. He's going to have better days, and nothing keeps him from going out and shooting a 65 someday and being you know, right back on the top of the leaderboard. 
Talking to Shane Ryan Ryder at Golf Digest. Now, what did you make of the in-round interviews that we got? A little, a little treat into what the players go through. You got like a one-hole opportunity to to listen and to to kind of feel like you're a part of the action and talk to some of the greats. Uh, we we were both on the same boat of it. it was really really awesome and intriguing, but at the same time, kind of crazy for these guys to be doing that at the at the highest stakes tournament. Yeah, I had the same thought. I love when they do it on the PGA Tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's great. You know, we've seen Rory and Homer are two that are always awesome to listen to. And then I saw Rory do it. I was like, really? <laughs> and Augusta, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And, you, know, you know, Augusta is such a, a fraught place for Rory in particular. He's always trying to compete the um, career grand slam, and there's so much pressure every time he goes there. I was pretty shocked that he agreed to it. And he was off to another slow start, so... Maybe it was just me, but from the body language, I was like, this guy really doesn't want to be doing this right now. <laughs> like, he didn't, he didn't seem like he was thrilled to be uh, – he was like, here's Rory plus two. Like, tell us about your bad shot you just hit, Rory. <laughs> um, but, 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 no, like, I, think it's, I think it's phenomenal. I think it's such a great feature. Um, and it's all that kind of stuff that, you know, the players have so much leverage now uh, that remained on the PGA Tour because of Live Golf. You know, and we saw how they changed the game and they've got more money for themselves and all that stuff. But I think they also understand that, you know, anything they can do like that to make it a more personal game, to make the broadcast more interesting is really good. And I think that's just one example of, uh, you know, how golf on TV has become like an even better product over the last year. And I love hearing their insight. And I love, you know, when the mic's up and you hear them talk with their caddies, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, as a golf junkie myself who stinks, it's cool to see people really good kind of thinking somewhat in the same terms you are, except, you know, 8,000 times more talented. So it's neat. Just continuing to look at the leaderboard in the top 10. Uh, Jason Day is an intriguing name. Didn't make the Masters last year. Shoots a 567. Um, and, you know, he's got this history of health issues and him getting back on track and him getting back after being the number one in the world. And all of a sudden he's popping up and competing at events. Is Like, where is he at from a golf perspective? Like, can he still hang with these guys, you know, through the rigors of the PGA Tour season the way and, like, keep up with the Roms and Schefflers of the world? Or is he sort of entering Tiger territory where, you know, there's some specific courses where he can use his knowledge and know-how and compete? And is the Masters tournament one of those tournaments? No, I think, yeah, he can definitely still compete. It's, uh, It's funny because it's like, it's almost like one story too many for golf right now. <laughs> like if it, you know, if you rewound three years ago and it was Jason Day making a comeback, it would be one of the biggest stories of the year. And now you're like, oh, live golf. I mean, you got Kevin coming back. You got all this stuff. And, like, and here's this like intriguing story with Jason Day, who's you know one of the great players, is a major winner, and all that. Former world number one. You go, I'm sorry, we just don't have the bandwidth for the story, Jason. You're going to have to wait. <laughs> but. Uh, but he's not waiting. You know, he's great. Like, I, again, I was in Austin. He made it to the uh, quarterfinals there. Uh, top 10 at Bay Hill. Top 10 at Riviera. Top 10 at Phoenix. Top 10 at, like, uh, at the uh, Torrey Pines. I mean, the guy's playing amazing golf this year. And he's playing it for four rounds. Uh, he hasn't won yet, but he's shown that he definitely can. And, yeah, I mean, it's like Augusta, he's always been good at. He's had great chances to win at Augusta. No surprise at all to see him up there. And, um, yeah, for sure. There's There's... He's not too injured. He's not too old. Nothing like that. He can do this for four days. 
we saw a little bit of a, a weird moment with uh, Colin Morikawa with maybe a cheating or a, a brain fart where he moved the ball. And the anyway, you saw it. Um, what do you make of that? And then the broadcast also kind of sewering him a little bit to, in terms of really tuning in and, and you know going through it. But I mean, technically, it kind of looked like he did move the ball. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts? So what happened was that, and you could see it when you watch the full clip, is that he was standing over his ball, and through nothing that he did, the, the Queens are so slick there, the ball actually moved a little. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he, what he did was then he dropped a mark back. Like he, he stopped, he put his marker back where the ball originally was, moved the ball back to the original mark, and then moved it forward uh, to where the original spot was. So it's, it's a complicated situation, but basically, no, he didn't cheat. He didn't do anything wrong. He did exactly what he was supposed to do by the rules because he didn't cause the ball to move. And so what you saw on TV was just the like the last little like 10% of it mm-hmm. where he moved, seemed to move the ball forward. But he definitely wasn't cheating. And I, I think like the proof in the pudding is, I mean, <laughs> the guy had a 45-foot putt. Like you're not – like two inches is not giving you any kind of advantage there, right? Like it's not like he's like – uh, maybe if I mark and remark, you know, 74 times, I'll be right next to the hole. <laughs> like, so, yeah, so no, more, and he tweeted about it after, and he was, like, very transparent with it. But, no, for sure he wasn't cheating. Um, yeah, it's uh, – it, I think the even the broadcasters, like, maybe should have taken a moment and said, wait a second, why, why would he be doing that? Um, but, yeah, no, no, he's, he's – uh, I give him the, the clean bill. I think the more interesting one was the Kefka – uh, the Kepka caddy thing where they almost seemed to tell Gary Woodland what club he had hit. Um, and that was something that Augusta looked at also and also mm. determined they're like, well, we're not going to penalize you for it. So why is that? Just because I was a little, I saw that as well. And I was like, well, why is that a big issue? So, yeah. So Paul McGinley was saying after on the golf channel, basically this is something that happens all the time. The idea is that, okay, look, if you, let's say you're Kepka and you hit a five iron and it's perfect you don't tell your competitor what club you hit because there's this idea of protecting the field. Like, you know, if you give him an advantage, you're sort of nobody else might get an advantage in the other groups. And so you you guys shouldn't do that with each other because, you know, the rules are you don't do it, first of all. And second of all, everybody else isn't doing it. So you're not, quote, unquote, protecting the field. It's the phrase they like to use. Um, I McGinley also said, I don't know why they're, like Kepka basically said, no, we didn't do anything. And he was like, well, it looks like you did. It looks like he very clearly said that, you know, we hit five iron and then, you know, and they showed the close up and he had hit a five iron. And it one of those things where they said, we didn't do it. And Augusta said, okay, great. You didn't do it. Hmm. And so no penalty was issued, but there's also the, I guess the broader point of, yes, it is against the rules, but apparently everybody does it. And so, Maybe there's still like some broader justice and no penalty having been assessed there. Yeah, it's a little strange. I mean, everyone knows the exact distance from every single tree and every landmark to the whole. Like, ah, it's it seems a little bit silly given that we have all this information and all these players use the information that they have at their disposal. But uh, yeah, that's it. That'd be an interesting one to lose strokes for. Um, is there another golfer we haven't mentioned that made an impression on you yesterday? Uh, good question. Um, you know, I think one guy that, you know, I, I watched uh, Sam Burns win in Austin, uh, and he's playing very, very well. And he's four under. You know, he came off late, and we didn't, he wasn't in a future group, so we didn't see him that much. Uh, he's somebody for sure to keep an eye on who's just playing out of his mind right now. Shane Lowry being at four under was probably the biggest surprise between him and Adam Scott. You know, those two guys, former major winners. Scott obviously won at Augusta, but 
not exactly in their top form right now. So seeing them on the leaderboard is intriguing. I don't think they're four-day guys that will stay up, but definitely, you know, just definitely fun. And I just think, like, you know, look at this leaderboard, how strong it is. There are guys we're not really talking about at all, like Morikawa, except for the, the ball incident. Jordan Spieth, right, with three under. Finau, three under. All three of those guys are at three under and could lead after today if they had a really good round. So I just think it's just an absolutely stacked top 20 uh, where anything could happen. And just it's so exciting right now uh, as we head into a super rainy weekend. I just hope they – I kind of hope they play and it, and it pours. You know, <laughs> like, I, I, like First of all, I want them to play most of all. But if they have to play in a downpour, how fun is that? I would, I would love to see them suffer a little bit like that. Well, you said Shane Lowry right off the bat. Like, he's just dying to get out there in the wet and rain and he's because he thinks he could probably <laughs> dominate in those conditions. Uh, yeah, it's an outstanding leaderboard. Uh, I can't wait. If it runs till Tuesday, whatever. I'll be on the couch and I'll be enjoying it. Uh, it's going to be a great tournament, how and wherever, or however it goes down, uh, rather. Uh, Shane, this was a lot of fun. Uh, I was you... say, it, should, it should still be at Augusta, <laughs> I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, you wrote a, a, a very interesting article that we're going to discuss a little bit later. Stupid golf argument. Could you win the Masters teeing off from 100 yards on every hole? We suggest that you check that out. Uh, Shane, thanks so much for jumping on with us, uh, and hopefully we get to do this again soon. Awesome. It was fun. Thank you all. That was Shane Ryan, writer at Golf Digest. Yes, we we need to discuss if you think you could win the Masters teeing off from 100 yards on every hole. That's the question. Think about it. Text in 59590. We'll discuss. We'll do that next hour? Let's do it. Okay. I bet Kipper could. Kipper's a big golf guy. Yeah, Kipper could. Those the Kipper and Bourne, it's like all the all three of them are scratch golfers. I guess when you're, you know, and Sam McKee, all three of them. What yeah. a show! They could have their own golf show. Yeah, they, they, you know, September to June, they're dialed in. Two months, they can just, you know, dial into their golf games. I guess they're not going nice to Osprey life. Valley like we are this summer, though. That's right, <clears throat> Osprey Valley. Oh. We're still, <laughs> still waiting for the official. They they te- they tweeted us, so we're good. We we know each other now. We're Osprey Valley guys. I got the follow. Did you get the follow? Oh yeah. Hell yeah, we're in. Uh, okay, Kipper on the other side of the break. Let's talk about the maybe dress rehearsal that we saw last night. Is that the last time, the last litmus test until Game One of the Stanley Cup playoffs? Kipper on the other side of the break.